1: Hey, everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co host and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Support for this week's episode comes from Plum Deluxe. Whether you are a lifelong lover of tea, or if you're a tea drinking newbie like myself, you are going to love Plum Deluxe's Tea of the Month subscription just $10 a month, Plum Deluxe will send you a hand-blended organic loose-leaf tea from their delightful and delicious collection. Members of the Tea Club also receive free shipping on all Plum Deluxe purchases and access to an awesome tea community. A tea subscription also makes a fantastic gift, which is perfect timing for Mother's Day coming up. And they have a variety of low and no-caffeine tea options. So visit PlumDeluxe.com slash tea to sign up for Plum Deluxe's Tea of the Month. Well, this is episode 96 of Sorta Awesome, and I'm joined by my dear friend and oh so lovely co-host Kelly Gordon. As this episode airs, it will be Easter weekend, and Kelly and I thought it would be a great time to share with you an episode we've been thinking about for a long time. It's going to open up a bit of our personal lives to you as we talk about our spiritual faith and our somewhat messy relationship with Christianity. Now, we both fully realize that both of us practice the Christian faith, and we're going to be speaking to that experience. But we know we have many awesomes who are listening who come from different spiritual backgrounds, or may not be particularly spiritually minded at all. So we hope for everyone who's listening today that you'll hear our conversation about what we have both hated and also loved about our faith. And remember, we're just telling our own stories. So, Kelly, We're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do, with Awesome of the Week.
0: Hey, Awesomes. So my Awesome of the Week right now is really more of a lifeline than just an awesome. Okay. (laughs) So I have to tell a little bit of a backstory so that you guys know the setup here. I think like many of our Awesomes and many of my friends, I know once we get through winter and you're into spring and even early summer, I'm just ready to eat lighter foods. You know, I'm just done with all the heavy foods, even really, I need to be done with the sugary sweets. And so I have learned for myself that that is one of the biggest things I can do to change my diet is just to say, you don't get to have sugar right now. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. But I've also learned that I don't have a whole lot of trouble with that during the day. But my witching hour comes at about 10 o'clock at night once all of my kids are in bed, or at least the little ones are in bed. Oh my goodness. Then I cannot resist anything sweet. And I could have eaten healthy, so healthy you guys all day, and I can blow it in just a very short time period. So my lifeline, my awesome of this week is really just healthy, sweet treats. Because I think one of the things that I've learned, and this does not just apply to this, it's life, is if I'm going to try to change a habit, I can't just cut something out. Mm. I really need to have something to replace it with. Just saying no sets me up for failure. I completely get that. Yeah. Yeah. So- if I'm going to have that sweet urge and I'm just saying, no, you can't have that. I'm, and I'm going to end up in the marshmallows, you know, or something. So I have two to share with you guys of my favorite healthy sweet treats that I'm loving right now. One is from a blog you may be familiar with called Six Sisters Stuff. Oh yes, definitely. They have great yeah. recipes. Oh my goodness, so many, and I I really love a lot of the recipes. But this one is a skinny chunky monkey cookie. Mm. Okay, yeah, I know. It <laughs> I'm intrigued. So yes, yes. And I'll just read you the ingredient list so that you guys can hear what I'm talking about. It's bananas, oats, peanut butter you know, unsweetened cocoa powder, applesauce, you could put in some honey, although I don't, cinnamon, vanilla. And then if you want to, and I do, put in a few uh, mini chocolate chips. Obviously, that's got more, you know, like real sugar, but it's yeah. a very small amount with the rest of it. So you, you're you combining all those ingredients. Those are all like very natural, you know, whole grain with the, the old fashioned oats um, ingredients. But because you've got those bananas and the applesauce and even the peanut butter to add some protein, they are really, really good. And I was actually surprised when I made them. I had just made cookies for my kids, but then I was making these. And of course, the smell of baking brings all the children out of the woodwork. And Always. They're like, what are you making? Yes. And I said, these are mom's cookies. These are mom's, <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, can we try them? And I'm like, you can have one. But they really liked them, too. Uh-huh. So I was kind of surprised by that. I was just like, well, I'll make more. But now I can make them and send them, you know, for a school snack. What yeah. a great, like they think they're getting a treat, yeah. you know, yeah. because it's yeah. got chocolate chips in it. Right. And I know it's just full of good stuff. So that's my my number one. The number two, and this has been on my awesome list for years and years, you guys, is Shauna Nequist blueberry crisp. Oh Do my you know gosh, this? yes, yes, yes. It's yes. one of my very favorite recipes from her and she has a lot of good ones. She has a lot of good recipes. I recently just reread Bread and Wine. There's so many things that I love in that book. I just love her attitude and everything, her take on food, but her blueberry crisp, if you guys are unfamiliar, um, is gluten free because her husband does not eat gluten and really it's just blueberries that you would put in a pan so like you don't have anything that you're mixing in with them and then you make a topping that is old-fashioned oats again and pecans, almond meal, maple syrup and olive oil. Mm-hmm. So it has that natural sweetener in there again. so that's what I'm looking for. I'm trying to stay away from refined sugar so I don't mind a little you know maple syrup or even honey that sort of thing. Just it's it's different the way I feel about it in my body. So you're combining those things and just putting it on top of the blueberries and cooking it. And I will tell you, Megan, I, I will eat this for breakfast. It's a fantastic breakfast. It is yeah. not just for dessert. It makes a Absolutely very not. yummy breakfast. I mean, really, I call it upside down oatmeal because in the winter, mm-hmm. we make oatmeal and you make a big bowl of oatmeal and then you might put brown sugar, and blueberries, and even maple syrup on top. Sure. So this is like the opposite. It's like more blueberry heavy Mm -hmm. with a little bit of oatmeal on top. So those are two things that I'm trying to keep, you know, stocked in my kitchen right now. Of course, it's coming into berry season, so especially with that blueberry crisp, which you could do with any berries, I'm sure. I haven't tried it, but I know she says that she's all about, you know, adapting her recipes. Yes. Um, So those are two that I am loving right now that are healthy, sweet treats. Awesomes, hit me up. What do you got for me? What are your recipes that you like? I would love to hear. We'll of course start a thread in the Hangout group, but you can contact me on social media. We'll talk about you know where that is later. But I would love to hear if you guys have because I know that's kind of a new thing. This healthy sweet treat category. Mm-hmm. So they're mine for you. I would love to hear yours later. I bet the awesomes have some good wins. They always have yes. good stuff for sure. They do.
1: Okay. Well, my awesome this week, actually, I am cheating a little bit because I have two. The first one I have to mention really quickly, this is just like kind of on a a personal level, and it's a a little celebration for those of us on the Sort of Awesome team, is that we are celebrating Sort of Awesome's second birthday. Mm Yep, exactly. April 9th earlier this week was the official two-year mark of us doing sort of awesome. It has been so fun. It's really quite amazing to think back where we started from (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how very little we knew what we were doing, but (laughs) we decided to give it a try. And here we are two years later. So just kind of personally, I have been celebrating that and it has been Very awesome to reflect back on this week. So the second one I wanted to talk about actually did come from one of our awesomes in our community, in our Facebook community. Um, I'm so glad that she brought this to my life. Her name is Laura, not our co-host Laura, a different awesome with the same very lovely name. And on last week's Awesome of the Week thread in the Facebook Hangout group, she linked to... An ASMR channel that I have found to be so delightful. So let's stop right here. ASMR, we've talked a little bit about, and Sort of Awesome before. In fact, last June when my sister Emily came on the show, she and I talked all about ASMR because we're both very into it. But Kelly, do you remember what this whole thing was about?
0: I do. I remember you and Emily talking about it. I was very intrigued. I had not heard about it before. Mm.
1: This is a little reminder if you haven't heard that episode or if you're new to Sort of Awesome. So ASMR is it stands for autonomous sensory meridian response, which is a bit of a mouthful, which is why most people just refer to it as ASMR. And the the whole concept is, you know, that sort of tingly feeling that you might get like in your scalp or the back of your neck when somebody's like playing with your hair or maybe tickling your arm. Well, that tingly, tickly feeling is the ASMR response. And so because so many people have a whole bunch of triggers for ASMR, there's actually a whole subculture of ASMR creators on YouTube. They create videos specifically to trigger people's ASMR. So there's that. So let's circle back to our awesome who shared this channel. The channel is called ASMR Rooms. And what this YouTube creator named Claire has done has created a whole series of ASMR videos inspired by the Harry Potter series. What? Yes. (laughs) This is for real? For real. For real. In fact, she's done a couple of other shows as well. I think she has one for Game of Thrones, and there was another one that she's created. But they're these amazingly creative videos where you kind of get a scene from somewhere in the Harry Potter universe. And so you'll you'll have a visual that you can look at, and then there's all kinds of sound effects that go along with it. And it's really, um, with all ASMR videos, if you can listen with earbuds or headphones, you really get the full effect of the sound effects that are going on. So for example, on one of her videos, you can push play on one that shows a um, an idea of what the Hogwarts library might look like. So there's a library scene, there's a fire crackling in the fireplace it's raining so you hear rain falling on the windows and if you're watching the video you might see a book fly across the room or (laughs) the portrait over the uh, fireplace will change those little things like that there's one for the forbidden forest at night has all kinds of nighttime nature sounds there's um hogwarts kind of shimmering in the background um couple of others there's like Dumbledore's office late at night uh you can listen into potions bubbling in Snape's classroom so they're just so fun and creative and I have to tell you Kelly with world events being what they are right now I have just been a little soul weary lately so this uh, Harry Potter ASMR uh playlist has just been oh just like this little gem of delight and actually pretty comforting as well
0: (laughs) I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone say that Snape's office with potions bubbling is comforting, (laughs) but being the Harry Potter nerd that I am as well, I will have to check it out. I'm very, very intrigued. I never did go and look at the channels that you and Emily recommended, but the Harry Potter element in this might just push me over the edge.
1: And I do want to say, too, this one doesn't particularly trigger any of my a- ASMR response. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very, it's more just like the, a very comforting ambient background noise. Right. So it's been well, very... you know,
0: I'm all about some ambient background noise yes. with my smooth jazz music. So yes. maybe today my kids come home from school and they're like, "What? What? where are we? <laughs> what are we listening to, Mom? Oh, don't mind me. It's just the Forbidden Forest. <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. They'll love it.
0: It's fun. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's a good awesome of the week.
1: It's been so fun. So, well, friends, here we are at the conclusion of Holy Week for people who practice the Christian faith. It's the conclusion of the Lenten season. It's a really sacred time. In Christianity, so we're going to kind of practice a, a sacred tradition of the Christian faith today, and that's confession. So, <laughs> I thought about it that way, but
0: this is true. This is true, or you know, it's a testimony.
1: Yeah, that too. That right? too, definitely uh-huh. a, a big tradition in in the in the Christian churches is giving uh-huh. testimony. So, we are here to confess, and we are here to testify that even longtime uh, Christians like Kelly and I sometimes in our is we look back over our spiritual journey, where, where we started and how we've gotten to the place we are right now, there have been times that we have hated parts of Christianity and there have been kind of milestones along the way that kind of reinvigorated our faith. So we're going to be digging into this, telling our stories today. We hope as you listen that there will be moments and, or ideas that resonate with you no matter, again, what your spiritual background may be, just getting to hear a couple of people talk about the spiritual aspect of their lives. And we're going to try to avoid too much Christianese and <laughs> yes. Christian culture stuff, but but that will definitely play a role, I'm sure, a little bit. So Kelly, let's start with you, because you have a very interesting and, and somewhat unique story, uh, being the daughter of a pastor. So let's start That's with your right. story and, and kind of where it began.
0: Right. And so I'm sure longtime listeners to Sorta Awesome know that, that I am a pastor's kid. I'm the oldest of four siblings. So because of that and and just because of who my family is, I really grew up with the church being the center of everything in my life. It's it's almost hard to overstate how important it was, how central it was to especially those early growing up years, you know, 1 through 10, 1 through 12, something like that. We were at church of course every time the doors opened. I mean, lots of times we were the ones opening the doors. So, you know, Sunday school, um, we were there for multiple hours on Sunday mornings just our our whole life revolved around Awana on a Wednesday night, all the things, you know, church musicals. I remember I just thought of this this morning. I had a pink quilted, like, cover for my Bible that had like a little loop on the mm-hmm. top so you could carry it like a handle. Absolutely. You know, I mean, everything. that I'm sure that was a Christmas gift, you know. Everything revolved around church. Um, And then maybe because of my dad being a pastor and then our close friends, family friends, being from the church. And, of course, if they're at the church where my dad was a pastor, which, by the way, was a non-denominational church. So, you know, we were very, very similar to Baptist in our theology, mm-hmm. if you would go back. But we were non-denominational. So people who came in, of course, are going to believe like my dad. We all believed kind of the same. So... That was very much my norm, was to be surrounded by people who are very, very, very similar to me um, in many, many ways of life, but especially in our faith and what we did. So, I remember um, I went to a Christian school when I was little. It was actually a school that my dad founded. Oh, wow. In, in Northern Kentucky. The church that he was pastor of very early on, it's interesting, we won't get into that whole story, was a very big church for back then. And so they decided to do Christian education. So I remember being in first grade and going out probably like some during a break time with my first grade teacher and sitting on a little carpet square and she doing the wordless book mm. with me, which. For anybody who grew up in this Christian subculture of, you know, especially I think a few years ago, it was a way, it was just colors. It was a way to show kids kind of walk them down verses and like a conversion experience. So I remember saying a prayer then and being baptized, you know, the next Sunday by my dad and all these things that were just, would be normal milestones for me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say that was there fear, you know, the whole idea of, well, you got to do this, you're going to go to hell. Absolutely. And I think that was just normal. Yeah. You know, I think that in some ways we've come and said, hey, that's maybe kind of scary for a six-year-old, <laughs> right. you know, to be like, well, you can believe in Jesus or you can burn for all eternity. <laughs> right. You know, so I know I woke up at night, you know, scared. And did I really, did I really, am I really in, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, But really, it, it was so normalized. Right. I guess I didn't see it as something that was bad. Right. You know, it was just the way it was. um. Here's something that I would say as we continue with our stories, Megan, is going to be a recurring theme for me is that when I look back at this very early age, questions that came up, questions always, how they're met, I should say. I shouldn't say they always catapult me into growth, but how you deal with questions changes things, right? It's kind of like a, a it's a crossroads. Where are you going to go? So at that very early age, if I had a question, it was met with very solid answers. We're right. They're wrong. The end. Yes. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. no deviation. I could have asked my mom. I could have asked my grandparents. I could have asked somebody at church. They would have all said the exact same thing about everything. Yeah. Um, so I would say for a kid, for a young child, that's pretty stable. You know, it's hard to fault that. That was a very stable foundation for those early childhood years. So I really did grow up so far in the bubble, but. Surrounded by love and safety, you know, like everybody believes this. It must be true. Like we're right. Um, and so there was just a lot of stability, which was, I can't say a bad thing again for those early years. It was just everything as it should be yes does that resonate with you at all or what was your early childhood like well that very much resonates with me um i
1: grew up southern baptist so again i think you you intimated this it sounds like although you guys were non-denominational it was still within the broader context of the evangelical oh very
0: much approach
1: to christianity so
0: and actually i would even say for people who know the christian faith when I say we came out of the Baptist roots, you know, now I can look back and go, it was pretty conservative. right?" We, yes. were, you know, we were very Baptist, just not in name. Right.
1: Yes. That makes so much sense. Well, we were Baptist fully in name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we grew up Southern Baptist.
1: My parents both had grown up in that denomination. Um, so we were a family that was at church every time the doors were open. And in fact, I you know sort of in, in the southern baptist tradition it's we don't practice infant baptism um you wait until you uh, reach a, a moment of decision it's called right. where you decide i am making the choice i want to become a christian and in baptism and, and um, teaching follows after that so i made a decision to become a christian when i was 5 years old nearly 6 mm-hmm. we were having a revival week at our little small town Oklahoma Southern Baptist Church. So during revival week, visiting preachers would usually come in and deliver mm-hmm. a series of sermons meant to revive the congregation. And so I remember very clearly at the end of that, of one of those services. The pastor was giving, or the preacher was giving an altar call and said something about how, you know, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And I knew enough at that age, at age five, that I knew that I did not want to go to hell if I were to die. I wanted to go to heaven. And so uh, my parents allowed me to go ahead and go down front and do all of the things, you know, to answer the altar call and be baptized. And I, you know as an adult and as a parent myself, now I look at that and I kind of have some question marks about it. Like, what, what did my parents think that I fully understood what it means to become a Christian and follow after Jesus, all of these things. But it's like you were saying, Kelly, that it was just so that was just such a very normal part of the church culture that we were in, that mm-hmm. I think that they probably felt fine about that. So... Um, something else that I resonated with as you were talking is you were talking about how you know very safe and loving church was for you. That was very much the case for me. In fact, church was really the only place of stability in my life. I've kind of tried, I've sort of intimated this on, on other episodes of Sort of Awesome, um, without going into specifics, that my parents had a very troubled marriage. I had, um, also in the midst of that, I have a very high needs sibling. So there was always a lot of chaos at home. We moved a lot. We moved every three to four years for my dad's job. But church was always very predictable. It was always very fun. The adults, no matter what church we were in, in these little small towns in Oklahoma, the adults were always very kind and loving and involved in our lives. So church was this Really, truly, a rock and a place of stability for me. So, when I say that we were there every time the doors were open, that meant Sunday mornings, which was Sunday school and then big church, is what we called mm-hmm. it, the worship yep, right. service. Us too. <laughs> Sunday nights, we would have activities like kids' choir. Um, I got to play in like handbell choir and those types of things. We had um, another worship service on Sunday evenings. Those were usually mm-hmm. the more dedicated amongst the congregation who came back Us for the Or night. the pastor's
0: family. Yeah, definitely. We always went back and we wore our Sunday morning clothes too. Like we yes. had to put back on the dresses. Yes, and the nice shoes. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. And then Wednesday nights we had midweek activities. So that usually involved um, eating at church. They would serve a meal in our little fellowship hall. I would go to a missions organization like Girls in Action or Act Teens. Um, those are really deep cut references for the other girls out there who grew up Southern Baptist. <laughs> um, and then later, after you know, after my childhood years, Wednesday nights met youth group. So we had a really big youth group at the church I went to in high school that drew in kids from all different churches in town and then some kids that didn't go to church at all, but they liked to come to youth group. It was lots of fun. There were a lot of social things that were always happening. Um, We did Bible studies, but we had a lot of fun. We had summer camps, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So uh, youth group, was that a big deal for you too in your church?
0: Oh my goodness, such a big deal. In fact, I was thinking about it this week, Megan, and I thought, you know, if you wanted to say my childhood years of my faith were like building a house, you know, just building this house, it was like my teen years are when I started to decorate the inside. Oh, you know, like when yeah. I started to move in and I put up posters of Michael Tobias Smith and Amy <laughs> Grant and DC Talk. DC Talk, and, yes. Yes. You know, I mean, youth group was everything to me. It was, it really was the center. It made, It kept being the center of my life, but just in a whole new way, you know, that was, that was my social connection. All of my friends were at youth group. And so everything that they did, every youth group activity we used to have on Sunday nights after church, we would have drop-ins where we would go to different people's houses. Mm -hmm. We had Wednesday nights, you know, like you said, summer camp. I was always the kid who volunteered to be like, I'll help go buy groceries for the camping trip. I like, I just wanted to be in it all the time, in it all the time. So- Probably no big surprise is that as soon as I graduated from high school, I went back as a youth group leader. Oh, yeah. So even through my you know college years, for sure, and even my early 20s, because Corey and I met being youth group leaders. That's right. And we continued that after we got married. You know, that youth group experience is like a 10-year decade that is so pivotal in my life. And it was so much fun, mm-hmm. really. I mean, you look back now, and I, I see some things that I think, well, that was kind of silly, but you you didn't know, <laughs> right. you know, you didn't know then you're, you're a teenager. So you're developmentally, it's appropriate. Right. Um, we were so all in um, just all the things. I, I think we see you at the poll. Do you remember that? Definitely was there for see at the yes. poll every year. So we're just a few years, you know, apart in age. So I was a leader during that, but you know, all those things, I was thinking if I went with my whole theme here of like, Asking questions and what do you do with those during those years, even though I had this really big fun thing and it was the center of everything, maybe because of that, you know, some people have talked about the tribal influence, mm, you know, mm-hmm. like when you're with your tribe, how important it is to believe that I think questions got scary because I had so much invested in my tribe at this point, right? Yeah, You know, there was no other island like this was it. So we had all these things, too, going on the offensive. So I didn't have time to to question. I mean, we're at war, right? We're taking back America. Mm-hmm. We're fighting the scourge of evolution in the schools, you know? So there was all this stuff that was like we didn't have time to really be serious about questions. Mm. And I do think part of it even that was cultural. I mean, in some ways, the 80s and 90s in America were that way. You know, we're Cold War and all of this stuff. So it it went that way. But I would say, and maybe this is like you, even in my teens, and this is probably partly just developmental, my faith was up and down. Mm -hmm. You know, youth group was everything, but my relationship with God, eh. You know, like it was there, you know, that you would go on a retreat and it would be really important and everyone right. would cry. Yes. And then you'd go home and you'd go months and then you would realize you hadn't read your Bible in a long time and you'd feel guilty. Yes. And you'd confess and then you would burn, you know, your print CDs. And, you know, it, it was it was an up and down sort of a thing. Like, am I doing a good enough job? know, mm. I, I want to make a big enough impact. And who I am, just my personality is always like, I want to be I want to do a good job. You know, I want to. I want to be the A student. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, trying and failing and trying and failing. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking back to when I was in college now. So this is, you know, you're starting to make your faith your more your own. You're starting to really decide. I remember being on a youth group trip, actually as a leader, and really being serious. Like, no, I, I'm going to give my whole life to God. You know, up to that point, I felt like I was kind of holding back. And these are right. know, very christian <laughs> sorts of things, but doing that. But I read a book called Real Christians Don't Dance. With the "don't" crossed out.
1: Ah, by interesting. A, by a man,
0: yeah, by a man named John Fisher in the follow-up book to it called "True Believers Don't Ask Why." It was the same thing. Uh huh. But I read those books, and it was like this little crack. In the window you know Mm. Um, for the first time here was somebody who was asking questions and giving me permission to be honest like i felt like so much of what we did as a subculture if you will was focused on the outside yes you know this is what it means to be a true christian is you don't swear and you don't smoke and you don't drink and you don't dance and you know all these things these actions and that was where again very possibly with good intentions Ninety percent of what we talked about was the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, how yes. does it look? What are you doing or not doing? Mm-hmm. And so here was somebody who was saying, "Is that it really? Is that why Jesus came and died? That's why Moses parted the Red Sea? Is so that real Christians don't dance?" Right. So it was very pivotal in my faith because it gave me permission to ask questions, mm-hmm. and because I was able to push through those questions. It made it more real. If I had not asked those questions, if that book had not come along, probably things would have stayed very shallow in my life. So it it, it allowed me at that stage, early 20s, to start to deepen. Wow. And yeah. one of the things that he says in that book that I think is pivotal as we continue to talk is so many times for kids today, and of course, he was writing this book in the 80s, 90s, but he said, we give you the answers without you guys even getting to ask the questions. That is
1: so true. Yes.
0: Right? Yes.
1: I am just nodding my head along so vigorously right now, because that was very much my experience too. And I would be so interested to hear if people who are part of the Christian faith, but were not part of evangelical culture, had Mm -hmm. the same experience, especially like you said, Mm -hmm, in the 80s and 90s, where everything was so enmeshed together, all of these cultural beliefs and cultural stands, and like you said, even just answers to questions that we hadn't even thought to ask yet, we were already being taught um, from an early age and from definitely from high school on. Um, and, And like you said, questions, just to ask the question was always met with the, this is the answer, this is the answer that you need to know. Right. So I very, very much relate to that. And just to kind of play off of what you're saying about how much of the emphasis was what's going on on the outside, I felt like growing up, and this is something I've really only kind of realized the depth of the truth of this as an adult, was so much of what we were learning. Again, we were at church three times a week. And then sometimes, again, even in youth group and and in college years, there was also Bible studies going on on different weeknights during the week. Sure. A lot of what we were learning, a lot of the teaching was just so focused on sin management. Like, you have a personal sin problem in your life. Let's look at what the Bible says about this specific sin. Let's look at how this sin affected people in the Bible. And now let's apply it to your life. So that I had a constant awareness of the sinfulness in my life. And certainly that made it easier to see the sinfulness in other people's lives, you know. Right, Yes. Oh my goodness, I relate. But so much of my early years of Christianity, my formative years, I just felt so guilty all the time. Now, during that time, during high school and a little ways on into college, I I always had a boyfriend. And so I was constantly thinking, you know, have... My boyfriend and I, have we gone too far? (laughs) The perpetual question. Yes. (laughs) We would like ask each other, not the boyfriends, but my girlfriends and I, we'd have these long conversations about the technicalities of sexuality right now. Um, Right. But that was always weighing on me, the guiltiness, the guiltiness over not carrying my Bible with me to class and like taking a stand for Christ at school by bringing my Bible. And there was just like everywhere you turned, there is a reason to feel guilty and a a way to recognize the sin in your life. And I can remember laying in bed at night and praying and just being like, God, please forgive me for my sins and forgive me for the ones I didn't even know I committed. You know, like it just was such a hyper awareness on that. Um so then, you know, I, I grew up, Kyle and I got married. We got married quite young before our senior year of, of college and, and I felt like, Okay, now I'm gonna start my life as a grown up, adult, you know, I'm twenty one years old. <laughs> Ready to yeah, right. start life as I'm a grown totally up. Totally grown up. Here I am, world. <laughs> I can't even rent a car yet, but I am ready. <laughs>
0: exactly right to
1: take on the world as an adult woman. Unformed. Um, yes, exactly. So now those were some really great years. Um, we were married for you know six years before we had kids. So there was uh, again, church remained a stable part of my life. Kyle was coaching football; he was hardly ever home, but I at least had church as a social center and um, as a as a really. It continued to be a rock of stability. But again, throughout this whole time, as much as church was important to me, again, it, there was still just such that focus on the personal sin in your life. And so I kind of have this moment where like suddenly... Everything changed for me, and it was through a book, um, a book that some of you all might be familiar with. It's Don Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, Mm -hmm. and um, I read it probably in around 2007. And for a lot of reasons, that book kind of was the beginning of my own journey of of being like, wow, I there's a whole way to experience a relationship with God, a belief in and Jesus, there's a whole way to experience this that I just have never, I never even had a glimpse of. There's this one part in Blue Like Jazz, a, a passage where, um, so Don Miller is in college at the time, and he has a, a friend that he f- refers to as Tony the Beat Poet.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And they go to school in the Pacific Northwest, and they their campus is having a Renaissance Fair, where there's lots of student debauchery going on you know and he and tony come up with this idea that they're going to have a campus confession booth and at first don thought he was just kidding and he was like no we're really going to do this and so you know they get a couple of other christian friends together and and don's like freaking out like we can't do this people are going to like literally burn it down if we have a campus confessional booth in the middle of this renaissance fair but tony had a totally different idea tony the beat poet And so I'm just going to read this little paragraph from the book. Uh, This is Tony speaking. Instead of what they thought it was going to be, you know, like people coming in and confessing to them their sins, Tony said, we are going to confess to them. We're going to confess that as followers of Jesus, we have not been loving. We've been bitter. And for that, we are sorry. We will apologize for the crusades. We will apologize for televangelists. We will apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We will ask them to forgive us. And we will tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. We will tell people who come into the booth that Jesus loves them. And so that little paragraph is just like such a great example of, that was the first time I was like, oh, there's a totally different way to look at this, to look at the practice of the Christian faith. There's a totally different way to see sin. Like, Maybe it's not always been about my own personal sin. Maybe it's been about the way I maybe have been sinning against other people and I just never had thought about that. So right. do you did you have kind of like a turning moment point for yourself or was it more of a like a, a slow awakening to a different I practice would, of the faith? Yeah.
0: I would say it as a slow awakening, I don't think I could point to any one thing because there are so many things that just turned, 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 you know, so that I was really headed a, dif- a different direction, but it took like a decade. Um, ironically, when I really look back at my, especially my adult journey, you know, for years, it just kind of continued very similar to, you know, the early 20s, teen years, like through my 20s, I would say church was so central, like you were saying, Faith was something that you need to do. It really was, I mean, I was sincere. Mm-hmm. I was not doing this out of somebody, you know, coercing me. Um, but it was it was difficult. Like I always felt like I was kind of failing. Yes. You know, what you're you're saying. Um I I had the right answers. In fact, I didn't even say this, but I went to a Christian college and the college that I went to, I got a degree in Bible. I mean, I know. Mm-hmm. I have the knowledge, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but so many times I was like, "Why don't I?" I'm not living it consistently, and I, I'm, you know, I just felt either numb or bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so in my early 30s, so more than 10 years ago, <laughs> um, what changed? And this is funny because this is very much on the same path, like for many people. But this really did start my deviation. I did a Bethmore Bible study, mm. um, the one that really did. A, like the turn for me was her Bible study called "Believing God," which oh yes, yes. You, maybe you did. I, I know have. a lot of people who did it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about that study. I can't say that it, the same thing would happen for somebody else, but for me, all of a sudden, it took a two D faith and made it three D.
1: Oh, that's so like, good. Yeah,
0: doing that study and and her ideas of it's not believing in God, it's believing God. Mm-hmm. So, do you know? who God is, Mm -hmm. you know, and her five, like little beliefs that she would went through, you know, like God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. He, you are who you say, or I'm sorry, you are who God says you are. Mm -hmm. It, it, it just made it go, Oh, this is personal. Yeah. Like it's not just head knowledge. And I knew that before, but for whatever reason, at that point, it was like, I cracked and the truth sunk in. Mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, I all of a sudden got to know God instead of getting to know about God. And so all of a sudden, I think what it started to do was make me less dependent on the tribe. Oh, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yes. So even though this is very much Beth Moore's Bible studies are so good and so deep, they're so in some ways mainstream Mm -hmm. to the Christian faith. um, But because she was taking me into the heart of God, And not just about sin management and not just about what you're looking like on the outside. And she's so real and relatable that I think that that was a turning point for me. And another thing that I would think when I look back was the message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when the message became a complete Bible, like I remember even reading it when it was first just the New Testament and the Psalms. You know, like as Eugene Peterson, if you're not familiar, he translated from the original languages, into modern-day English. And he really did it for his congregation. He was a pastor, I think still is, maybe is retired at this point. But all of a sudden, reading the Bible in language that, I mean, I have read the Bible so many times in the King James, the NIV, through all of my years of church, through all of my years of Christian schooling, it was so familiar, I couldn't get through, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So to read it with freshness, it all of a sudden, again, it kind of became 3D. So- I would say for me, it's been this slow progression. Um, it was those things probably at the beginning. And then there were other things that I started to read that started to open up my eyes or people that I started to meet. Yes. Even that, right? You know, living life. Again, I grew up with everybody just like me. Everybody had the exact same answers. And really what that does is also creates a great fear of the outsider. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for sure in my 20s, when I started to go get like real jobs, I didn't know how to relate to anybody outside of my tribe. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, I didn't even know how to make a friendship. You know, I was so scared all the time. Like, am I being a good witness? Am I saying the right things? You know, people at the TV station were like, we're going after work to get a beer. Do you want to come with us? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't drink. (laughs) Should I be seen in a bar? Would Jesus be seen in a bar? I was so (laughs) uptight all the time. You know, like, really, I, I didn't know how I look back now, and bless their hearts, these people, there's so many of them are in my life. And I'm like, I want to apologize, right, kind of, yes. because I literally I was so insular. Mm-hmm. I didn't even just know how to be with people mm-hmm. who are outside of my tribe. So as those things started to happen, as I started to make real friends with people who are even like Presbyterians, <laughs> <laughs> um, people who are Catholic and still love Jesus, you know, And when I was very young, Catholic was like, synonymous with the Antichrist. I mean, it was so like outside of what we thought was correct. Mm-hmm. All these little things. Um, I read, this was w- quite a while ago, but Greg Boyd, who was actually a pastor here in the Twin Cities area, wrote a book called Letters to a Skeptic. Yes, And it was letters that he wrote with his dad, who was an atheist, mm-hmm. a skeptic, and they were writing back and forth about Christianity. Even that idea that, hey, look, here are Jesus followers who believe different things. I remember that book because his view of God was so different than my view of God. Yes. And of course, again, I didn't believe him. I didn't agree with him, uh-huh. although now I kind of do. But back then, it was just to hear somebody who so obviously loved Jesus mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. hey, there isn't just one way. Right. The answers all of a sudden started to become less important to me, having the right answer. And so I started to just fall in love with Jesus, instead of the right belief.
1: Yes. I get that so deeply. And I love Greg Boyd's teachings, too. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. That's just one of many books yeah. of his that has been very influential along this journey.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Well, I, like you, I continue to have, you know, once I kind of had this moment where everything changed, this blue light jazz moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I been missing this whole time? Yes. Then I was so open to, like you said, hearing hearing other people speak about Christianity in a way that I just had not envisioned. And so, again, I know I reference this book all the time, but Shane Claiborne and Chris Hall wrote a book in 2008 called Jesus for President. It was so pivotal in my life because not only... Did it teach me and show me how I could sort of untangle my personal faith and and my love for Jesus and my love for um, the gospel, what the gospel teaches, that it's good news for all, how I could untangle it from um, the politics of the United States? And it was Mm -hmm. so pivotal because not only did it teach me that, but a big part of that book is a new vision for what it could look like to live as People of the kingdom, to take this idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, very standard prayer in the Christian faith, um, that Jesus prays, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He prays this to his Father, to God. And this idea that we could be the people bringing that vision, that idea for the kingdom of God to earth was so powerful for me. And it was it's really the first book and the first teaching and the first time I was exposed to this idea of we are called to be living as people of the kingdom as opposed to people of the empire, which is kind of what they used for basically secular government. Right. Of this right. earth. And um, and so I just loved that so much. And, and you know, a few years later I would read like Sarah Bessie's Jesus Feminist, which again gave a new vision for what women could see how women could see themselves living out kingdom beliefs and passions and callings. So there've been a ton of teachings. But the the sort of dark part of this, Kelly, was yeah. as I was discovering all of this, I started to like really hate Christian culture. I yes. really, I fe- I felt like the more I was exposed to this beautiful vision of what Christianity could be, what the early church, the early New Testament church, the early foundations of the church, how they lived, as opposed to how we experience Christianity. I, I don't think it's too strong of a word to say that I began to really hate it. I began to really resent it. The very difficult thing for me at the time was we were in a small town in Oklahoma now as adults ourselves <laughs> with children. And Kyle was, you know, professional in town and we went to a big Baptist church in town. We were Sunday school teachers. And so I was trying to like figure out how do I live in the tension of hating church culture, but being in church culture still. Um, This was a time when Jen Hatmaker, her Mm -hmm. um, stories began to come into my life. I taught one of her studies about, you know, those just kind of along the same lines of what have we been missing about what we are actually here to do? And that became so important, and so slowly I began to, just I guess, get used to living in the tension of it. I wouldn't even know that I could say today, that I have fully that there's no more tension. I just get how you can be all the things at all the time, right? Right. In terms of your faith, but um, I, I just you know, again, I was able to grasp onto some some new teaching that was very inspiring to me. We went to a church when we first moved to Oklahoma City, where I heard the pastor say. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to bring the dead to life. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, that really encapsulates what I've hated about church culture and about how I grew up in that culture, where it was so much about, are you being good enough or are you being bad? Are you on the bad side? Are you in the bad column too much? Because if you are, you need to get right with Jesus so you can keep living in the good column
0: over here. (laughs) Yes. Right, because Jesus came to be nice and yeah. to teach us to be nice. Exactly, exactly. Like that's in no way do I think that anybody in my childhood or in my past growing up life would have said that that's the point of Christianity. But that's sure what I learned. Right, right. That was the point. Yes. Um, was that we should be nice people because Jesus was a nice person. And so exactly. I'm so glad you said that thing about like the dark side of this, because I do want to touch on that. I think that's important, because what happens, and again, this is that cycle of growth that I see in my life, is you have to ask the questions, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. many people are scared of questions. And adults are scared to let their kids ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, because it is scary. You are at a crossroads. What are you going to choose? So for me, when I started to like make my faith all of a sudden, started to get real. I started to distance myself from the tribe a little bit, or I don't think distance is the right word. Maybe unplug, mm, right. you know, like to yes. say, okay. And, and it really was very much more emotional. It wasn't even physical. Like I was still going to church and doing all the things, but I started to feel not as at home. And then this odd thing happened about five years ago. I decided to read my Bible through in a year. Maybe this is like the vestiges still of like, you know, what this is what good Christians do. I should, I should be reading. I think I'm getting away from reading my Bible. And so what happened was I was at this right place in my life that I was reading a little bit of Old Testament every day and a little bit of New Testament. And I was able to admit to myself that I hated the God of the Old Testament. Mm. Hated it. Like, To the point where, again, I was just ready to be intellectually honest with myself and not excuse it with all the right answers that I knew. And I'm like, no, you know what? Those answers do not make sense to my emotions. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is a vindictive, bloodthirsty, cruel God who, if that is the God, I will not worship him. If I did not have Jesus, I'm done. So it was really the beauty of Jesus Mm. that drew me, like you're talking about. Like, this is what I want. I'm really seeing maybe for the first time in its completeness – how different Jesus is, how beautiful his message is, his real complete message. And again, because this was because I was starting to peel away all of the Christian stuff that I had learned, like I had to get to the heart of it. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the journey for those of us who grew up in the church. Right. In one way, maybe, you know, you're handed a lot of things, that's nice, but then you also have to peel it away. In fact, John Fisher said this back in that book a long time ago, where he was talking about you're peeling an orange, and you peel away sometimes parts of the actual orange, you know, when you're trying to just get the peel. It's messy, and you end up with pulp all over your hands and juice. (laughs) But if you're going to get to the heart of it, if you're going to make it real, this is what it requires. Mm -hmm. So it required me also going through this kind of darkness and admitting this darkness Mm -hmm. and saying all these things that people have been saying about the church— not only am I seeing them as valid, but I'm starting to feel it too. Right. In fact, I read a book recently. This is a, a more recent book. It's called UnChristian, and it was a book by um, the Barna Group that evangelical Christians will be very familiar with. That that group they're like a group that does surveys and studies in the pop culture. Well, I sh- should say in culture, mm-hmm. um, and just to see about the faith and things how people are, you know reacting to Christian culture in America. Um, And what they said, and the book is funny to me, because when I read it, here I am kind of in the darkness and coming through, really a a process of deconstruction, right? And they're saying, just Christians, you're going to have to accept that the overwhelming majority of people in America think that we are judgmental, hypocritical, anti-gay, Too focused on politics and petty. Mm -hmm. Now we all know that's not true, and I'm like, what? That's true. (laughs) Like I'm a Christian. I'm not even a millennial. I I apparently think like a millennial because this is like a study on millennials. Sure. Yes. Um, I'm like apparently I think like a millennial because I'm in the church and I think that's true. (laughs) Right. You know, these are the reasons that I'm having difficulty right now. So you do Mm -hmm. have to like wrestle through. You have to acknowledge things that I used to just accept. Um, I would say some of the things that through my deconstruction process, like. I love science. You guys know that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a weather geek. Mm -hmm. So science versus the Bible, which used to be something that was very, very much opposed. How do I integrate things that I think are true, things that aren't? So what started to happen for me, Megan, and maybe this is like you, is I started to drop things like, well, I don't think that's important anymore, and that's unimportant, and instead cling all the more tighter to the things that I did think were important. So you're talking about the beauty of, you know being people who bring light and love into this world, who bring wholeness. Yes. You know, what I tell my kids about sin is I try not to focus so much on the outward actions, mm-hmm. but I say sin is our broken world. And yes. I don't think you have to be a Christian to look around and say, we all have a discomfort with the world. We know something's not right. You know, none of very few of us are like, well, you know, torture, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we recognize that death is... a a bad thing, like, you know, all these things that happen. So we live in a broken world and sin is like a cancer that we're all born with. It's just something of part of who we are. It means that we don't operate the way we're supposed to. Right. And so we, we are from the inside. Sometimes our actions on the outside are going to be bigger or smaller, but doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the actions. It's like something, it's a disease that we have, whether you see the symptoms or not. And so having to deal with that, I want to be somebody who, is healed of that disease, and then can go out and live wholeness into our broken world. I have to mention here a book that I think I've mentioned on the show before. I think it might have been an awesome of the week, but it really is so pivotal to the last five years of this process for me. It's called Unapologetic, mm-hmm. yes. Why Despite Everything, Christianity Can Still Make Surprising Emotional Sense. Mm-hmm. And it's written by someone from the UK. His name is Francis Buford. Um, it was so important to me because he was addressing all of this darkness and writing from the UK, possibly, you know, where things are even more post-Christian right. than we are here in America. Um, and the, in face of the new atheist, it was so fun because he he was really taking so many of these little seeds, all these little things that were, you know, bubbling and boiling in my soul. And he gave voice to them where he said, you know what, I'm not writing an apologetics book. I'm not here to defend the faith on grounds of the Bible is literally true and six day creationism. And Mm -hmm. he said, I'm here to tell you that without Christianity, without a God, without Jesus, without healing and hope and love in this world, that's what's important to me about the faith. It's Mm -hmm. the emotional sense that it makes, not necessarily the answers that it gives. Right. And so one other book I have to mention, I'm sorry, you guys, so many books today. We'll have to have all of these in the show notes. Definitely. Yes. This one is really um, new that just like I read it just very, very recently. It's called The Sin of Certainty mm-hmm. by Peter Enns. Yes. And again, it was that thing where I felt like the Holy Spirit who, again, even there, the Holy Spirit was not something that we were really comfortable with growing up. Right. You know, like Jesus was really important in the New Testament. God was really important in the Old Testament, like the Father. And then the Holy Spirit was there, but the end. (laughs) (laughs) Because we liked things in order. We liked things in control. We liked to have a five-year plan. We liked all the things. So even just recognizing that the very God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, can still speak to me. The Word of God is not the Bible. The Word was Jesus. Jesus lives in me. The Word of God lives in me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that was transformative. So I feel like there really has been just a little bit of a leading. And so I read this book, The Sin of Certainty, and again, It took all these things like we have maybe in the American evangelical church put on a pedestal this right thinking, Mm -hmm. right beliefs, being certain. Do you know what you believe? Mm -hmm. You know, being able to defend the faith and saying that's not really what it's about. Right. So, Megan, for me, where I am today is I say to people – it's been a process. I would say even the last three to four years, I have not been able to really voice these things, which is why we haven't done this podcast until now. That's right. That's right. We've had some people in the group say, oh, I want to hear your faith journey. And I was like, oh, I, I was in the cocoon. Yes. You know, you don't know what's happening. And bless my husband's heart, you guys. You've met him now. He was on the adoption episode just a few weeks ago. INTJ. He's on his own journey, right? And he's like, what's going on in there? You're freaking me out. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I can't answer any of your questions, Mr. Black and White. Like, um, So <laughs> yes. it's only been like I would say in the last year that I have come out of the cocoon. I am now a butterfly. I'm starting to test my wings. I can start to say, hey, I know where I land now. And here's the cool thing. All I used to believe have like 80 to maybe 100 right answers and points of theology that were really important to me and that I would probably have killed for <laughs> Maybe not, but you know, like it was really important whether or not you could still speak in tongues in church, yeah. or you know, transubstantiation of the communion. I mean, all these things, you guys, all these things. Yes, I mean, what happens is the rapture. You know, <laughs> I believe very little anymore. I have very little in the way of like firm beliefs. Yeah. There's a lot that I am very much willing to say. I don't know. Yes, and I don't care. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because love, because Jesus. Because these are the things that are important to me is that I do believe we are working our way toward, to use the cliche, Rob Bell, right? Love wins. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. My job here is not to be right. It is not to defend God. It is just to love. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to judge. I don't have to make sure that you somehow, I think I used to think, you know, you talk about sin management. You you report to me, I guess. <laughs> Like I had to manage the sin in your life too, right? Right. I had to make sure that you knew you were wrong right? because that was part of my job. And now I'm like, well, maybe you are wrong. I don't know. You answer to God, not me. Take it up with him. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to be the person who's like cutting you out of my life because you're doing something that I don't agree with. How is that gonna show love to anybody? I don't know. That doesn't. So that's where I am today. Like just more passionately in love with my faith if you would say it that way it's even more so the center of my life but in such a freeing way right in such a way of beauty and grace um, that i know a lot of people from my past could look at me and be like wow you're almost apostate mm-hmm. you know you're with your beliefs and that sort of thing and all i could say to them is never love jesus more really really dislike the american church really feel a lot of discomfort with things don't know all the answers but I love Jesus. What about you? How does that?
1: Well, it's so interesting to me that you were talking about when you went back and reread the Bible and read it through and viewed everything through Jesus,
0: mm-hmm. that that
1: really was a fundamental like shift for you. Yes, And um, I have in my notes that the way that I moved from hating Christianity to really Emerging into a a holistic and vibrant faith in Jesus were because of those red letter words of Jesus. Like I just went back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just like camped out there and sought out, found, and listened for teachings that helped me understand what that looks like lived out. So I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. I think about it all the time. He's talking about the church and that, that he feels like the church was formed. To be a colony of heaven in the country of death. That, you know, the vision for the church is life and all of the things that Jesus taught, and that 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 alone will be so illuminating in the death of, um, you know, like you were talking about, the just the the natural decay of the world around us. So it's helped me to. Stop looking so carefully, and and maybe I should say it this way, stop feeling so guilty about personal sin in my life, but be able to look at community sin, systemic sin, corporate sin, how all of that does lead to death, but that we can push back against that, push back Mm -hmm. against the effects of sin, whether it's on a personal level or a corporate level. Um, And then when we take the emphasis off of our personal sin, it just gave me this hope, like, what would Christianity look like if it were radically dissimilar to the greater culture around of us around us not because of a personal morality but because the church was known for things like beauty like creating beauty in art um what if it was christians were known for the way we celebrate for the way we sacrifice like like ridiculous amounts of sacrifice for people around us um What if we were known for coming up with life-giving ventures? Like if we pushed back against standard capitalism by creating businesses and ventures and and all of those kinds of things that actually gave life to the people involved. Um, What if we practiced radical generosity? What if we really became known for bringing shalom, Mm -hmm. that idea of bringing wholeness to where brokenness is? So when I was able to really recenter my faith in Jesus alone, I'm the same way as you. Like I feel so passionately about his vision of what the kingdom of God lived out on earth could look like that that alone, it's so, it's so like almost hilariously simple to say it. <laughs> but when I recentered my Christian faith on Jesus, it saved my faith. It helped yes. me to stay in the faith. It helped me to um it didn't just help me, it inspired me, it, it galvanized me, it, it really, uh, it just, it changed everything. It really right. did. And and that's yeah. where I am today. I mean, do I live this out perfectly? Absolutely not. No. I don't. It's my, it's still... It, you know Kelly and I are both um idealist types so it's really easy I think for us to be like this is what we believe it could be and then you know other types would be like okay now let's let's sit down and talk about the details about what this looks like yeah. let's talk about reality <laughs> right 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 <laughs> but for me this is that moment of just like this is a vision of what it could be and what we can live towards um i don't know that's mm-hmm. where i have landed and that's that's what Anchors me in my faith now. So
0: And don't you think, I think this is true for both of us, that as we've gotten to be here, so I'm thinking about all the awesomes who are listening, many whom I know are Christians, some who are not, some who are of other faiths or maybe no faith or just a mix, is that I hope you hear what we're saying is that first of all, asking questions, getting away from a system of quote unquote religion is what we're saying is a healthy thing, right? That this is what we need to grow, that we want to be able to be open and honest and authentic to the real world that we live in with all of its hurts and beauty. Um, And that really where we are now, because we've had to drop so many things that we used to carry so tightly, we can be open to the mystery of God and the beauty of God that now is In a weird way, I'm more hopeful now than I used to be. Mm, Even though I feel like I don't have right answers and I don't have it all figured out and I don't know exactly what happens here and there. And, you know, I am more hopeful and I can see God's presence in everything, Mm -hmm. you know, like somebody who can look around and, and see it everywhere. There was a quote that I saw just recently from Eugene Peterson and I thought, oh, this is where I am. And it was even a bare bones human existence. Contains enough glory to stagger any one of us into bewildered awe. Oh, that's beautiful. Man, that guy can, with his way with words, I was like, that's it. Like, I don't have to be a Christian in the way that we would especially define it in America. There's so many cultural things. Even the label makes me itch now because of what people think of. I don't want to I, I have things that I think of when I think of that word, I don't always like it. You know, like you said, we we struggle. It's messy. But that idea that there is glory all around us, I think that if we can be truthful, all of us see that. Mm. Is there pain and brokenness? Absolutely. But is there also a glory that can stagger us? Yes, yeah. And I think that that I see that because I'm looking through the lens of Jesus. I'm looking through the lens of love toward the world. And so it's just become this really vibrant thing, a really beautiful thing so in that vein, for any of the awesomes out there who are Christian or not, if you wanted to pick up on some of the little breadcrumbs that were on our trails, Megan, yes. I, I have to mention a few more. You mentioned Sarah Bessie's Jesus Feminist, mm-hmm. absolutely pivotal for me as well. Also her book, Out of Sorts. Yes, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So especially if you're in the faith, it's her journey through the messy, dark side of Christianity and saying, I hate this mm-hmm. and coming back around to it. So if you're on that journey, you'll resonate with that. We've mentioned several times on this podcast, the Liturgist podcast. Yes, very very excellent. Very excellent. They talk a lot about deconstruction. And man, they had one recently, which we haven't even gotten into and we don't have time. It's a separate show about how to parent Mm. through these years of like deconstruction. When again, it was easier when you had all the answers. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. To parent because you're like, here's how it is. Boom, there you go. Um, So those are two that I have to give you. Also, Philip Yancey, some of his books, I think, that were pivotal in my book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Mm, Right. Here in this holy season, like just the idea that, again, that there are more than one answer. to the question. Um, So yeah, those are some that I just had to mention so that if people want to go and find out more, if they're on the same journey.
1: Definitely. Well, you guys have to know our show notes today are going to be filled with all of these resources. So do not forget to check those out because We'll have a complete list of all of those in the show notes. So I know that people may have some thoughts about what we've said today. So if you would like to come and share those thoughts with us on social media, Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web.
0: Well, I'm on Twitter at Kelly at Lovewell and Instagram at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, you could find me at facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta
1: of Awesome Meg. The show is on Instagram at Sorta of Awesome Show. We are on Twitter at Sorta of Awesome Pod. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. So thank you all so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time. Sorta of Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.